Matt and Deborah Zawad have been with us for five years um, as one of our camp speakers, and they are missionaries with Ethnos 360. Uh, they serve in Waukesha, Wisconsin at the uh, Bible Institute there. And uh, Matt's just got a way of, of really bringing God's truth, making it simple uh, so I can understand, uh, relatable so that the, the middle schoolers and this year high schoolers wanna listen and hear what he's gotta say. And uh, they just got a great way uh, about them. If you get a chance this week to, to meet them, introduce yourselves to them, uh, you'll be blessed to get to know them a, a little bit better. But um, uh, it's just really, it's a, it's a blessing to work with good people, which is why I love this church so much. But it's, Matt, it's been a real blessing to have you with us. And I know the Lord's laid something on your heart for us this morning. So come on up, uh, Matt, and, uh, and just share with us. Uh, what the Lord has. He told me, he said, he said, when I invited him to speak on Sunday morning, he said, this works out perfect. He said, I really had five messages for the week and there's only four slots. So uh, he says, we'll start Sunday morning. Uh, but Matt, thank you for your obedience. And uh, let me pray for you. Lord, we just uh, commit this time to you. Thank you for Matt. Thank you for Deborah. Uh, would you speak through Matt? Would you uh, give us ears to hear uh, the truth from your word this morning? I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, it is, a, it is an honor to be back here. Uh, again, my name is Matt. That's my amazing wife down there, Deborah. She's here with me today. Deborah, you want to wave or anything? Or, there you go. Um, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, the first slide that they'll throw up is a photo of me, my wife, and our three children. We are currently missionaries with an organization called Ethnos 360 which works to plant churches and unreached people groups around the world. We love what we do. We love what we get to be a part of. Uh, there they are. They're amazing. Um, our children, go to the next slide for me. Um, this is our three kids. Uh, Finn in the middle, which is crazy because when I started teaching here, our son Finn was just like six months old, like, or just, no, like maybe even younger than that. Like it's crazy. Um, he uh, just turned five, and he, uh, he was walking around the other day, uh, punching his leg, telling me his bones were out of place. Um, you know, typical five-year-old thing. Uh, my daughter there on the left is Searsha. She uh, just turned three, and last week she had created a fake mustache for herself and was talking like an oil baron and was like stealing people's blood. It was really weird, uh, but that's our kids. And then Tallulah is a year and a half. So we have a very full life right now. Um, we are very busy, but like in a lot of good ways. Um, yeah, it's hard to believe. Five years uh, I've been coming here and talking to your students, which is pretty amazing. Uh, I was actually looking up uh, five-year anniversary gifts, uh, no reason. Um, and it turns out one of them is wood, which is great for me because that's really expensive right now. And the other one, uh, gems, would be like a sapphire. So, I mean, you guys don't need to do anything with this information. Uh, just for you guys to have and to pray about. And maybe you have a sapphire lying around. I don't know, okay? And if you do, just, you know, bring it before the Lord, uh, whatever you need to do. So this year in high school camp, I, that's actually true. I kind of had five main points I wanted to use. I was like, well, I'll just bring one on Sunday, I guess. So this is kind of like a uh, yeah, prequel for this week. And uh, I'm talking about something uh, that I always feel like is kind of scary. Uh, go to the next slide for me. Uh, we're talking about uh, vulnerability today. And if 
like, I don't know what it is, but guys like myself, and I'm guessing a lot of the guys here really struggle with vulnerability. Um, the way I like to process it is when I feel something uncomfortable, I just shove it deep down to resurface this anger years later, you know? That's the healthy way to process uh, uncomfortable emotion. Uh, or you like go fishing for like five hours and just stare across the lake or something, you know? Uh, as guys, we don't really know always how to process, you know, the vulnerable things that we're feeling or experiencing. Um, so let's dig into it here a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about two things. We're talking about uh, vulnerability, and the other thing we're talking about, which I think is closely related to that, is we're going to be talking about shame. Vulnerability and shame. Um, growing up, I had an absolutely amazing core family. You know, my dad uh, worked tires, tirelessly at a job he didn't like just to provide for my family. He took us to a church that he didn't, like, he didn't enjoy the worship there. He kind of just like, you know, it sounds terrible, but he suffered through it because he knew that his family connected well there. He knew his children were being discipled in that, you know, body of Christians. My, my mom was really, really, really plugged into that. Like, my dad sacrificed so much so that his family was provided for spiritually. My mom was the most amazing woman, a kind and caring. And I remember one, mo I worked at Starbucks and one morning I had to get up at like 4 a.m. To, to go to my shift and my mom was awake. She was making me a sandwich at like 3.30 in the morning so I could have a lunch for work. Like that was just her heart. So I grew up in this environment where I always felt loved. I always felt cared for. I had extreme security. My dad always kind of pushed me and my brothers in the right direction in life. But even then, man, even then, in the midst of a, of a really close, good upbringing, there are things I just didn't talk to my parents about. There are things that were shame, kept me from being open, kept me from being vulnerable. Um, even though I knew that they loved me, I still didn't share a lot of my life with my mom and my dad. You know, we don't always do good with vulnerability. There are things we choose to withhold from our parents, to withhold from our spouse, to withhold from our pastor, our friends. Man, it, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to tell something, tell someone, you know, a secret about us that we don't want them to know. It's hard to tell somebody, hey, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. Um, I'm guessing it's hard to say that because they're not very good right now. Listen, the other concept we're talking about in relation to vulnerability is shame. And with that, turn with me, uh, turn with me into your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 and we'll get started there. And uh, while you're turning there, I'll kind of get the stage and the scene set up for you. Um, God has just created the universe. He's created everything good. The whole world is good. He finishes it and says, everything was very good. And then uh, he makes almost this like side note as he's transitioning into chapter three. In Genesis chapter two, he says this. He created Adam and Eve, and he says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame or they were unashamed. And the idea here that the writer of Genesis is trying to convey is like innocence. You know, they have not experienced sin. They have not felt shame. They're living in perfect and complete harmony with their father. 
and life is good for them and there is nothing to hide. And so the Bible gives us this seeming side note right here. They were both naked and they felt no shame. They were unashamed. Um, after this moment, uh, some, a lot of you guys know the story, but they are visited by uh, Satan uh, in disguise as a serpent. He convinces Eve that God actually is withholding his best from them. Um, they both choose to disobey God. And because of that, sin enters the world. Um, and the thing about sin is it just warps and skews everything. So far, their entire lives, they've experienced a perfect, man, loving relationship with God. And then we'll see immediately their reaction after sin enters. Uh, go to the next slide for me. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The reason Genesis notes right before this event that they were unashamed is because he wants us to understand their reaction here. Here's what happens. Go to the next slide. They become aware, they feel shame, they try and fix it, they are afraid of God, and they hide from God. Man, before this, all they've ever experienced is God's love, and yet without even interacting with them, because of their sin, what do they do? Man, run and hide. All of a sudden, even without anything happening between them and God, they experience this internal fear. So I want to take a minute and, and I want to uh, define two things really quick. The difference between conviction and shame, because they're two very, very different things. Conviction says this, ready? Conviction says, what I've done is unlovable. Conviction says what I've done is unlovable. And we've all felt this. You know, it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit or the, your conscience like prodding you, man, telling you that what you've done doesn't align with what God's best is for your life. So conviction says what I've done is unlovable, but shame says this. Shame says who I am is unlovable. And while conviction has a tendency to push us back towards God. While conviction is able to say, man, you need to get right with him. Shame has a tendency to push us away from God because shame is telling us the ultimate lie that God is no longer love. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 8 tells us this. It tells us um, about the Holy Spirit. And he says this, And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict, not shame the world of unrighteousness. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Not shame the world into saying sorry. Man, while conviction is often God's voice, encouraging us towards right living. Shame is Satan 
whispering in our ear, man, God doesn't love you anymore. We all see this clear and close connection between shame and fear. Uh, They experienced both these things. The first negative emotion ever experienced by humanity was shame and fear. I'm unlovable, and because of this, I'm afraid to show myself. I'm afraid to be honest, to be vulnerable, because I don't think that God's love applies to me anymore. And nearly four millennia after this event, the Apostle John will write this about the connection. Ready? 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. And here we see this heartbreaking moment with Adam and Eve in the garden, afraid of their father because they've believed something about God. They've believed that God does not love them anymore. Man, in sin, we are so easily tempted by this lie. We struggle when we screw up. We believe this lie from Satan that God is done with us. God is, man, tired of dealing with it. Man, growing up through high school, wrestled constantly with pornography through all my high school years and never once brought it before my mom and my dad. There's so much shame associated with that. And again, just like, man, just like the garden, it's so, it's like the connection is so clear for me. We keep listening to the wrong voice. And the horrible thing about shame is it's not just limited to the sins that we commit, but when we also feel shame about the things that have been done to us. We also feel shame about things that we didn't even do any wrong in. Sometimes all it takes for us to feel shame is to look in a mirror or stand on a scale. Sometimes it's all it takes. And we have this feeling of wrongness that somehow now who we are is wrong. Man, it is, it is heartbreaking. I've, I've, been, I've had close friends who've been abused and hurt in the past, victims of someone else's sin, and because of the sins against them, feel this way, feel that who they are now is unlovable. I was listening to a good friend of mine with tears streaming down her face, talking to me about the shame she feels in depression and anxiety. Man, isn't that heartbreaking? Uh, Craig Harrison was a sniper in the British Army. He broke the record for the longest confirmed kill by a sniper ever, uh, 2,475 meters, that's 9,005 feet, or 25 football fields. Uh, Just over a mile and a half. He gave an interview where he talks about the challenges of life post-military, and he shared about this sniper kill, but the main thrust of his message was actually about life post-military. He was discharged from the military because of PTSD, and he shared this line, and it just resonated with me. He said this, ready? I find I'm ashamed to have PTSD. 
It ruins your home life. It ruins your friends because no one wants to be around you because you're miserable. You don't want to go out because you get angry so quick. Because of PTSD, man, feel shame. I had a, I had a close friend of mine in Bible school who was in the military and uh, had horrible night terrors and felt shame because of that. And then needed medication to help him just sleep at night and felt shame that he needed to take medication. I did ministry for about two years in a halfway house in Missouri when I was going through missionary training, all for guys who are recovering from alcohol and drug addiction. Here are guys who aren't able to take care of their families right now because they've realized they need to get sober. Man, talk about shame. They're not, they're not able to be around their children because they have something to work through that they need to work through. And the shame was just thick. Shame is fundamentally destructive because it does the same thing to us that it did to Adam and Eve. It pushes us away from God. But, let's keep reading. Genesis chapter 3, verse, 19, verse 9 through 13. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And I just love the start of this. Because there's no like, God isn't mistaken. God's like not, it's not like that God's totally unsure of what's going on here. But God doesn't show up with like fire and brimstone. Get smote or something. Man, God comes and what does he do? What is God's first response? Adam and Eve have just doomed humanity. And what does he say? Hey, uh, where are you guys? God doesn't, God knows where they are. What he wants to do here, and why I love this conversation, is God wants to help Adam and Eve do something. He's trying to help them process. He's trying to help them realize what has happened and understand the consequences of their actions. Where are you? He says. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? God already knows. And God also knows that confession is good for the soul. God doesn't need information from Adam and Eve. What God wants is their hearts back. But, what is Adam's, a lot of you guys know this, what is Adam's response? The woman, the woman, man, God, this woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God says to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And the heartbreaking thing beyond the sin here is that we actually never see an admission from Adam and Eve. 
There's never a moment of clarity where they go, yeah, we screwed up. This is our fault. Uh, The American uh, researcher, Brene Brown, spent roughly seven years studying shame and vulnerability. And from her research, she concluded the following about blame. Ready? Blame is simply the discharging of discomfort and pain. It has an inverse relationship to accountability. Accountability, by definition, is a vulnerable process. Man, it is hard for us to say, I was wrong. I mean, uh, Deborah and I, we have, we have disagreements sometimes. And man, how easy is it? You guys, how easy? Deborah, this is like blame deflecting. We are good at it, man. We have a master's degree in blame deflection. We're like always putting the blame somewhere else. For instance, this isn't a real scenario, but for instance, let's say Deborah and I have a conversation and I'm late for home from work, right? For instance, again, this isn't real, obviously. We're missionaries, we're good people. Uh, she says, Matt, why weren't you home at work? How easy is it? Oh, my boss gave me extra work. And, you know, the roads were just crazy getting home. And if Henry Ford had just made a more efficient vehicular system, then I wouldn't have been so late. It's always somebody else's fault. How easy is it? And what, man, what God wants them to do is to lean into the uncomfortable. It is vulnerable. It is hard for them to be honest with God. It is hard for them to say, yes, we have sinned against you. It is inherently a vulnerable process. And what does God want us to do? Lean into the uncomfortable. And I just, man, I just love this because God doesn't actually come to shame them. When we talk about shaming someone, we talk about, well, really what we're talking about is withholding love from that person. And that isn't what we see from God, even in the midst of the catastrophe that just occurred. Even in the midst of all this, God is patient and slow and kind to Adam and Eve. And you know what? There are consequences for their actions. But God does all of this. He divvies out consequences. He addresses the issue all without holding, without holding his love. Um, eventually, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. The world suffers this curse. They're banished from the garden. And even that banishment comes because of God's concern for them. His concern is that they would eat the fruit of the tree of life and be eternally stuck in a fallen condition. Genesis 3.21 says this. At the end of it all, right? Right before they leave the garden, God does something very interesting. Remember they made fig leaves for themselves to cover up the shame and like the, you know, I don't know, the negative emotions they were feeling? It says this, 
Genesis 3.21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Is that the action of a God who hates his people now? Their covering wasn't good enough. And God says, okay, so you're feeling exposed because you're naked. I want to make you the right clothes. Man. They tried the best to cover their shame, but it wasn't good enough. Man, what, like, for me, it's like a great picture of what Jesus would do for us. There's this, we talk about how we're covered by his work on the cross. That our, our efforts, what we brought to God, wasn't good enough. No good works, no religious activity, no collared shirt was clean enough to bring to God and to make ourselves right with him. And God's saying, okay, you guys can't fix this. But he takes his first step it's a long process until we see Jesus show up in the scene. But God takes his first step towards humanity because you know what? Man, he loves Adam and Eve. You know, I wonder if, I wonder if Satan was still watching this. You know, Satan, is, uh, Satan receives his own uh, consequence along with Adam and Eve. I wonder if Satan was surprised. I wonder if there is any feeling of surprise from Satan as he watches God make clothes for Adam and Eve. I think there's got to be some kind of feeling like, seriously, you're going to stick with them. Okay, all right. Man, can we be encouraged that God is sticking with us? So what do we do in our lives? How do we combat the shame in our lives? I think there's two main things that we can do to combat the feelings of shame. Um, I think sometimes we use the word guilt like kind of synonymously. Uh, the amazing thing is like we talk about guilt, sometimes we say we feel guilty and that is a reflection sometimes of conviction. But sometimes we say we feel guilty and we feel like condemned before God. First, here's what we do. We remind ourselves of what is true. If we have believed in Jesus, then he has taken our guilt and our shame away from us. Um, God cannot reject us because he cannot reject his son and is in Christ whom we have been placed. Man, our identity is what we're talking about this week, high school. Our identity is found with Jesus now. It is with him that we are associated. Uh, John Bloom, he's, the, uh, he's a Christian author and he co-founded Des uh, Desiring God with John Piper. But he says this, he says, shame pronounces us guilty and deficient. Jesus pronounces us guiltless and promises that his grace will be sufficient for us in all of our weaknesses. Christ is all. As we trust Jesus as our righteousness and our provider of everything we need, Shame will lose its power over us. When we feel that, when, we, when we, we see shame creeping up, 
Man, what we are encouraged to do is to stop and remind ourselves of what is actually true about us. And what is actually true about us is that God loved us so much that he sent his son. Man, here I am, 31 years old, going back to like the first Bible verse I ever learned, right? John 3, 16. And how easy it is to lose sight of the foundational truth of the Christian life, that God loves us. Oh, you're not gonna like this next one. This next one, besides believing what is true, is vulnerability. And maybe, maybe today, you take a step towards what's uncomfortable. You take a step towards honesty. You take a step towards accountability. Maybe you call your son or daughter and tell them that you love them. Maybe you tell your spouse, I'm sorry. Maybe you talk to someone for the first time about addiction, about depression, about abuse. Maybe you call your NA or AA sponsor and tell them it's been a bad week. I don't know what it's going to be. I do know two things, that vulnerability is scary, but vulnerability is like the healthy way to live. And the reality is, it's hard to be vulnerable when we've convinced ourselves that God doesn't love us anymore. I understand we're not good with vulnerability, but it is our pathway out of the shame that we've experienced. Romans 8.1 tells us this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is our identity. We are not condemned before God because of the work that Jesus did on our behalf. And so guess what? The moment you feel condemned, all that's happening is you're believing a lie. Now, if you've believed in Jesus, there's no condemnation for you now. The moment we walk down the path of shame, we are telling God something. We're telling God that the sacrifices of his son was not good enough for us. But I've got some good news for you guys today. Good news for myself. Man, God loves you. And we've heard it a thousand times, and we need to keep hearing it. Um, I wasn't sure if I was gonna do this today, uh, but I did it with my junior high students two years ago. Uh, I want you guys to take like 10 seconds and turn to the person you're sitting next to and you have to tell them that God loves them. All right? Everybody go ahead. <laughs> You know, I don't see anybody frowning. I don't see anybody who's like, oh, God loves me, you know? Man, the reality is it's such a simple truth, we just don't tell each other enough. What a thing to not constantly be reminding ourselves that we are loved desperately by the Creator God. Here's a bottom line for tonight. 
is all you, sorry, today, is all you guys need to know. Write this down if you want to. I am loved by God and have freedom from shame. That's it. All right. Thanks.